Well, happy Mother's Day. I'm glad to see you. And I'm glad to see those worshiping with us online as well. I hope all of you have a wonderful Mother's Day. If your mother's still living, it's a chance for you to contact her and let her know how much you appreciate her. Maybe give her a gift, go by and see her, maybe have a meal with her. I called my mom this morning and wished her a happy Mother's Day, but I sent the gift on ahead. I sent it early. I made sure that it got there on time. I don't know what my siblings did, but I had it there early. I just want to point that out, okay? And so my sister Robin decided she was going to go on vacation. She was going to run up to Kentucky from Tennessee and go to the Ark. How many of you have been to the Ark? Anybody been to the Ark in Kentucky? Well, what are you people, where have you been? What are you doing? You need to go see the ark, right? And so she went up, but, and she was trying to get my mom to go, and my mom was on the fence. She couldn't decide whether she was going to go or not. And then she got the gift that Laura and I sent her, a little bit of cash and a little bit of card. And she decided that pushed her over the edge. She decided she'd go on to the ark up in Kentucky with my sister, and I made her go down through the holy city of Wilmore, where Asbury Seminary and College are. Laura and I both went to school there. And then I, I got her to go by the churches I served south of there. They had a great trip, had a lot of fun. It was a neat experience, and I just made it all possible. Just wanted to point that out. Okay? Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Right? Okay, now look, we're in this series about David, and what we have said is that David had this theme, and all through this series, we've talked about the theme, and here's what he said. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. And we saw David exhibit that over and over and over in this series, but we also saw David fail. Most of the time that he believed it, most of the time he practiced it, but sometimes he failed. And that makes me feel so good. I don't know about you, but here's David, a man after God's own heart. David, who killed the, the giant Goliath. David, who was such an impactful person in the Old Testament, and he failed sometimes. That just makes me feel better. Here's a guy in the Bible that's not perfect. Amen? So look at the person next to you and say, I'm only human. Just go ahead and tell them that right now. Go ahead and tell them, yeah. And they look back at you and they said, yes, I know that, okay? But that's the truth. And so it makes us feel so much better. Now, I want you to think about this. And I want you to think about somebody in your life that this applies to. Think about someone that you know or know about who has authority, power, and influence, and how they use their authority, power, and influence. Because there's nothing more disturbing than somebody who has authority, power, and influence, and they just use it for themselves. They don't do anything with it to serve the people over which they have power, authority, and influence. But there's nothing more inspiring than a leader who will do things for the people they serve. Even though they've got the authority, power, and influence, they say, hey, I've got it so that I might serve you. Because really, being in charge is really about service, isn't it? It's really about serving other people. That's what it means to be a leader, is to serve other people. And so that's what we see in David today. 
Now, when David was a young boy in his teens, then Samuel, who was the other guy besides King Saul who had authority, Samuel the prophet showed up at David's family's house. His father's name was Jesse. And he showed up there and he said, I'm on a mission. He went to see Jesse and he says, I want you to bring all your sons in because I'm going to make a sacrifice now before the Lord. I want everybody to be here. And so he does that. Jesse goes out and he gets them. Now, really, the reason that Samuel is there is because he's on a mission and it's a secret mission. And the reason it's a secret is because he's going to anoint the next king The only problem was they had an active king still serving in that position. So if you've already got a king and you're going to anoint the new king, you got to keep that on the down low, okay? That's a secret mission. And so that's what he does. And they come together and he's scoping out the room. He's looking around. He's going, I wonder which one of these sons it is because he's got a lot of sons, right? And so he's trying to figure it out. And then it says when they came in, and this is what the scripture says in 1 Samuel. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. Because he's the oldest, the first child. He's big and tall and good looking. He looks like a king. And so Samuel looks at him and said, well, this is going to be a piece of cake. We can do this real quick. I can already tell who it's going to be. But the Lord said to Samuel, it says, do not consider his appearance, or his height, for I have rejected him. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. When you meet people, do you look at them? Yeah. When you meet somebody, you look them in the eye, and you shake their hand, and you talk to them. You find out about them. You get to know them, right? So it's really hard to overlook somebody's appearance when you meet them, to see something beyond their appearance, to see maybe what's on the inside, right? But that's what he wants him to do. And then it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, okay, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now that'll preach right there, amen? How about that? So look, here's here's what he's saying. Ladies, ladies, it's Mother's Day, ladies, I'm talking to you. If you're looking for a guy, Don't just look at the really good-looking guys and totally disregard the rest of us. (laughs) I'm just saying, because there might be a little more depth there. There might be something a little nicer there. You know, this guy's just probably going to love you and leave you, but, you know, get somebody who's, you know, kind of down the totem pole on looks. (laughs) You know, go for them, because they'll know how to appreciate you, right? 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 I'm trying to help you. It's Mother's Day, okay? And then men, men, are you with me? Women, it's not just the way they look. It's what's inside of them that counts. So men, if you're looking for a woman today, never mind, you're hopeless. Okay. So let's go on with the story, all right? Six sons later, they still don't have anybody to anoint. He hadn't found the right one. It's an awkward moment. And so here's what happens. So he asked Jesse, Samuel asked Jesse, "Are, are these all the sons you have? Now, don't you, if you're one of the sons who's standing there, 
And Jesse comes and, and he goes, is this all you got? How, does he, how do you feel about that? Well, <laughs> I guess I know where I stand with him, right? And so what happens is he said, well, you know, there is the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And then he says, uh, Samuel said, send for him and, and we will not sit down until he arrives. Now, that right there is an awkward moment, okay? We're just going to stand here and look at each other and wait. We're not even going to sit down and have small talk, right? And it's going to take a while for him to come from the field. He's taking care of the sheep, right? But that's what they do. And finally, David comes in. He's a kid about 13 or 14 years old. And Samuel looks at him and he gets the nod from God. And God says, he's the one. In fact, it says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Now, then a strange thing happens. Samuel gets up. He walks over to David. He pours oil on his head. He gives him a blessing. He picks up his stuff and he leaves. And the rest of the family is just standing there going, what just happened? What was that about? Because there's no indication in the Bible that Samuel explained to Jesse or anybody else who was there what that was all about. He just knows that he's the one that God's going to do something with, but he doesn't know what. But since David was a little boy, he's always known that God had a special plan for him, something special he wanted him to do. And he gets anointed, and two years later, he goes out and he kills the giant Goliath. And all of a sudden, he's known all over Israel. Everybody knows about David. He's an overnight sensation. And for the next seven years, everything's great because David shows up and he goes to work for the king, Saul, and he starts hanging out there at the palace and, and he even gets to marry one of his daughters and he becomes good friends with his son, Jonathan, and they're just like brothers and it's great. But then Saul feels threatened and he's jealous and he tries to kill David, and he puts a bounty on his head, and David becomes a fugitive. Now, we don't know this, okay? This is just speculation. We don't really know why Saul was so wishy-washy and back and forth, and sometimes he was fine, and sometimes he was not fine. But some scholars believe, and they're just guessing, they don't really know, but we've read that some people believe that it's possible that Saul was bipolar, he had mood swings. I'm not kidding. I'm being serious. He had mood swings, and sometimes he just listened to David play the harp, and everything was fine, and other times he took his spear and tried to kill him. I mean, that's a mood swing, wouldn't you say? Hmm? Yeah, play another one, and while you're at it, take this, zow, and that's it, you know? But, but that's what was going on there. But during all this time, David is learning things. You see, God never wastes an experience. He uses all the things that happen and all the time it takes. Have you ever prayed for something and go, God, are you paying attention because I gave you this deadline and you just didn't come through in time? Are you, do you have a calendar up there? Do I need to help you with this? And, and, you know, we're saying, and God says, you know, just wait. It'll be okay. Just take your time. And so that's what's going on. And David learns some lessons. One of the things he learns is it's not about me. Now, that's a good lesson to learn. Look at the person next to you and say, it's not about me. Go ahead and tell them right now. And you know what they said back to you? Oh, yes, it is, too. 
That's right. You just say that, but you don't act that way. He said, it's God's will, God's way, and God's time. He's saying, it's up to God. Not my will, but his will be done. And on one occasion, he's out in the wilderness, and he's got his army, and he and a bunch of his guys are in the back of a cave. And of all the places for King Saul and his army who are trying to find David and kill him, of all the places for them to stop, of all the caves for them to stop in, they stop at that cave. And they're way back in the back, and it's dark back in there. And if you've ever been to Israel, it's really bright, bright sun, especially in that part of Israel. And so he's been out in the bright sun. And he steps inside the cave to relieve himself. And the rest of his army is down below. And he turns around, and he squats down, and he starts doing his business. And then all of David's soldiers say, this is your chance. And we've talked about this before, and it's an opportunity for him to go down and take Saul out. And if he does it, then he can walk out of the cave and says, I'm the king now. And everybody who followed Saul would follow him. But David won't do it. In fact, he goes down, he cuts off a part of his robe. And then after Saul leaves and he gets on his mule, he's about to go. And David walks out and he makes this big speech. And he talks to him. And then he holds up that corner of his robe so that Saul sees that he could have killed him, but he does not kill him. And what's David saying? He's saying, God's will, God's way, God's time. And Saul is in the most vulnerable position, and his, David's men are saying, go ahead, take him out. We'll take him out for you. But David will not take matters into his own hands. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about this when I preached out at the beach. David was 22, and he got to panicking, and he took matters into his own hands. There were times when he did that, but he regretted it later, and it was wrong. But when he went to fight Goliath, he said, that battle belongs to God. It's in God's hands. God will be victorious. And most of his life, most of the time, David was saying, hey, it's God's will, not mine. And so David then uh, says this, may the Lord judge between you and me uh, when he says that. And, and may he have, the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. And, and, and Saul basically says, you know what? You're better than me. You've just shown me up. I've got all this power. I'm the king. But you know what? And, and if I were in your shoes, I would have killed you. I would have done it. I would have taken you out. But you didn't, you're just better than me. And he's just demoralized. And he just turns around and leaves. And the army follows after him. Now, that was one time when David didn't take matters into his own hands. Another time when that happened was when Saul and his army were out in the desert in a place called Ziph. Anybody ever been to Ziph? Z-I-P-H, Ziph. Some of the places you've been through look like Ziph, okay? But there's not a lot there, okay? It's just a desert. It's wide open plain. There's some hills here and there. There are no trees. It's just wide open. And David's spies see Saul's army go into that part, that desert of Ziph. And, and that, what do they do? The king, what he always did was he would camp there at night and all that army would camp around him. He'd have a whole army around him and Abner, his right hand man, would be right up there close because if they got past all the rest of the army, then Abner was supposed to take care of Saul, right? And so there are, and they're, they're completely surrounded, okay? They're with, with those soldiers taking care of him. 
And then what they do is, there's about 3,000 of those soldiers. They take their spear and they put it down in the ground right by their head in case they wake up, somebody's out there, okay, I'm ready. Animal comes, okay, I got it. It's like keeping your gun under the pillow, okay? It's just a little before that time, all right? <laughs> and so then David turns to his buddy Abishai and he says, Abishai, come on, let's go together. And he says, you want to go with me? He said, yeah, let's go. And so here's what they do. This is amazing. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spears struck in the ground near his head. Now, I want you to catch this. They are in the camp of their enemy, 3,000 of their enemy, and they're all asleep, and they're standing right there over Saul. I mean, it's amazing, and they're asleep. And all, Abner and all the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. David, this is your chance, buddy. Just grab that sword and take him out. I know you can do it. You've missed the opportunity before, but we're going to take advantage of it this time, right? Abishai says, You know, I know what. You can't lay your hand on the Lord's anointed, but that doesn't mean I can't. Hey, what about me? Let me do it. And here's what he says. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. It won't take two times. I can take him out once. That's what he's saying. I can put him away right now. So there they are together, and they're, they're in that same place, and, and it's an amazing thing. But David says, you know, I'm not going to let you do that. That's not what we're supposed to do. David looks at Abishai. He says to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And here again, he refuses to violate the fact that God has an anointed king. What's he saying? God's will, God's way, and God's time. Because David refused to replace what God had put in place. God's will, God's way, God's time. Over and over again, he lives by that. And eventually Saul and Jonathan fight the Philistines and they're killed in battle. And now there's nothing blocking the way for David to be the king. And the tribe of Judah come forward. That's David's tribe. And they anoint him king over Judah. But there's this other son of Saul named Isbasheth. Wouldn't you like to have that name? Hi, what's your name? Isbasheth. Yeah. I hope he's good looking because he's got a weird name, okay? And, and so that's what his name is. And he says, you know what? I'm going to be the king over the other 11 tribes. And he just takes them. He just says, nobody told him to. He didn't have any authority. He just said, I'm the son of Saul. I'm going to take 11 tribes. I'm going to be the king over them. And David's just got this one tribe of Judah. And all the people are coming to David and they say, look, why don't you go take what's rightfully yours? This guy's no king. He's just stood up and claimed to be a king. He's nobody. But David says, no, I'm not going to do that. And for seven years, David doesn't act. He just lets things rock along. And then one afternoon, two of Isbosheth's brothers go in while he's taking a nap and take him out. 
Now, with brothers like that, you don't need any enemies, okay? They take him out. And here's what they're thinking. David is going to be so pleased with us. And they literally take Isbosheth's head, because it's the Old Testament, and they take it to David, and they say to David, look what we brought you. What do we get for this? This is a big prize, right? There's no obstacle now. You can be the king over all 12 tribes. But here's what the text said. They brought the head of Isbosheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, Here is the head of Isbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. And David answered, Rechab and his brother Benai, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble. When someone told me Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death. That was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house, at which point David is saying, you know, Isbosheth's an innocent man. And all of David's people are thinking to themselves, how can you say he's an innocent man when he's taken over 11 tribes and he said he's the king over them when it's rightfully yours? But David doesn't think that way. That's not the way he thought. He said it's God's will, God's way, God's time. God's in charge of that. How much more when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house and in his own bed, so David gave an order to his men, and they killed them. But they took the head of Isbosheth and they buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. That was a sign of honor. Now, the reason they're in Hebron, even though David is the king over Judah, is because it's later on that he moves the capital to Jerusalem. But that's where he starts out the first years of the time that, that he's in charge, okay? And David is finally king over the whole nation. And then it says this, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they recognized his greatness. But here's what I want you to see. David is not the same kid that he was years before. He's not the same impetuous person that panicked when he was 22 and took matters into his own hands. He's been living and walking and serving God. He's been trying to hide and stay alive. He's been going through a lot of change, a lot of difficulty for years and years and years. But all that time, God has been preparing him. He's been getting him ready for the man that he's going to become and now is. And David makes a covenant. He makes a covenant with God. And he makes a covenant with the people. And it says, David made a covenant with them at Hebron. And it's like, I'll do this, and you do this, and you do this, and I'll do that. I mean, that's what the covenant is all about, right? And so why did he do that? It says, when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And what he's saying is, I I'm submitting myself to God, and I am submitting myself to you, the people that I am going to serve. He's saying, I am a king. I'm not the 
king, okay? God in heaven is really in charge. He's just given me this responsibility in this part of the world for these people on this earth right now. But there's somebody who's got more authority than I do. And David never confused himself with the real king, God, who was the king of Israel. And they anointed David king over Israel, and David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. And here's the point. David waited 15 years on God. He said, I'm not going to take this into my own hands. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. He said, leadership is stewardship and kings are accountable. I'm a good steward of what God has given me to steward, and I'm going to serve these people. And that's the best leaders. The ones who inspire us are the ones who serve us, aren't they? The ones who just use it and it goes to their head and they've got all the power and they really don't care about us, those are the ones that we can't stand. Now, here's what happened. A thousand years later, 20 miles north of Hebron, the city of Jerusalem, Jesus would model this kind of greatness in an unusual way. It says there in John, it was the Passover Festival. Now, you know what Passover was? That's when the, the Jewish people celebrated their freedom, their liberation from Egypt and slavery. Let my people go. And then they would celebrate that every year. And the death angel came by, but he passed over their houses and their children were fine, right? And, and after the Passover, they would always celebrate. But Jesus said, you know what? We're going to do this a little bit differently now because God has given me some authority, and so things are going to change. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew he was about to get arrested and tried, and he was going to be crucified. And so what does he do? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. And so he knows he's got God's authority. So it says he got together with the disciples, and it says, so he got up. That's what he did. He got up. Now, here's the question. What do you do when you're the king? What do you do when you're the most powerful, influential person in the room? What do you do when you got the whole world in your hands? And the Gospel of John says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist, and the disciples couldn't believe what he was doing. After that, it says, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he preached the most powerful sermon that he would ever preach, and he did it without saying a word. He said, I'm the son of God, and I'm going to wash your feet. And now, unless you think you're better than me, I want you to go out, and I want you to wash other people's feet. And what did he say in John? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And what's he saying? He's saying that the way to be a great leader is to serve others. And when you think you're somebody, and when you think that you've arrived, that's the time when you need to look for some feet to wash. 
That's the time when you need to really serve. Because perhaps the greatest reflection of our maturity is how we handle authority, power, and influence. And when we do it the right way, we serve and other people sit up and take notice. I want you to think about people that you have known who were great leaders that you admired because they served other people. And that's an inspiration. Somebody that you've known, that you've seen, and they had all the authority, all the power, all the influence, but what did they do? They just washed your feet. And then Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What if we took our influence and we led and we lived that way? It happened once, and it could happen again. And we can pray as David prayed, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. And all God's people said,